0: Well, as we as we return to our text that Bill has just read uh, in our hearing, I want to remind you of where we were last week and uh, hope that we can move from that into some very practical application to our lives today. We've been trying to think based on chapter 5 and verse 18 where Paul gives us this imperative, be filled with the Spirit. We've been trying to think about what that means? What does it mean biblically? What does it mean practically in our lives? We we are called to live a spirit-filled life. But what does that mean? There is there's a tremendous amount of misunderstanding about this in our times. We want to make sure that we understand it clearly and biblically. It's a life lived in the power and by the grace of the Holy Spirit. It's a life that is offered to all believers. You. We always need to make sure we look at a text like this, that we're putting it in its context. You remember chapters 1 through 3, which are all about being in Christ, coming to faith in Christ, being chosen and loved and adopted and sealed by the Holy Spirit and secured in the forgiveness and mercy of God. We are those who are in Christ, and now being in Christ, Paul says to us, be filled with the Spirit. Be living out the meaning of what it is to to have the Spirit of God in you as you are in Jesus. And last week we we tried to summarize this with with a couple of statements which I just want to use by way of review this morning. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit or what does this text teach us? Well, it teaches us first that we should seek and expect Fresh enablings and empowerings of the Spirit, suited for the need of the moment, for the good of others, and the praise of God. This is what Paul is saying to us. Seek and expect. Don't just seek, but expect fresh enablings, fresh empowerings from the Spirit, suited for the need of the moment, for the good of others, and for the praise of God. Well, what does that mean? We said last week the filling of the Holy Spirit is a discernible and direct infusion of the Spirit's grace that enables and empowers us in the moment to do things we'd not otherwise be able to do with a power and with an effect that we'd not otherwise have. By discernible, what I mean is that this is something we can feel. This is something we can sense. This is something that can be seen. It can be heard. It's a, a work of the Spirit of God that, that, is, that has a, a certain kind of dramatic effect upon us. We are filled with the Spirit and things happen. And it is direct. It is personal. The Holy Spirit fills me. It fills you. And as we thought about this and think about this, we realize that it's an infusion. We are to be filled with the Spirit. Paul doesn't say be trickled upon by the Spirit. He doesn't say let the Spirit drip on you. He says be filled with the Spirit. It's a language of effusive, flowing, overflowing effect of the Spirit of God. In Acts 2, the filling of the Spirit is likened to the pouring out of the Spirit. The idea is that God in heaven pours out in abundance upon us his spirit. Or there are texts in the scripture that liken it to the spirit rushing upon people. We are to be people who are, who are experiencing and outpouring fresh enablings and outpourings of the Spirit of God in our lives. We we need to know that God is generous, that God is eager, God is willing, God is abundant, God is liberal in His giving of the Spirit to us. So Paul says, be, be filled with the Spirit. And when that happens, you remember last week, we said that there were any number of things that will happen. Right here in this text, what are the three things that happen when you're filled with the Spirit? Well, you'll Sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You will give thanks to the Lord for everything. And you will submit to one another in the fear of Christ. When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be a singing person. You'll be a thankful person. You'll be a submitting person. And then if you remember from last week... We talked about how throughout the scriptures, there were as many as 10 other manifestations of the filling of the Spirit. And the point that we really wanted to see in that and continue to need to see in that is that it's not just one thing that happens. You get filled with the Spirit, you speak in tongues. Or you get filled with the Spirit and you get bold in witness. Or you really preach with energy. No, there are as many manifestations of the filling of the Spirit as there are needs in our lives. Whatever our need is, whatever our need for courage, whatever our need for freedom, whatever our need for joy, whatever our need for love, whatever our need for power, whatever our need for strength to do a task, whatever our need for inspiration to be creative, to do something beautiful, whatever our need, we need the Spirit to fill us for the need. Be filled with the Spirit, and all kinds of wonderful things can happen. So that's, that's review. Okay, now we're, we're ready to go. That, no extra charge for that right there. That was free of charge. Now we're, now we're on to a couple of other questions. My, my prayer has been literally and humbly and sincerely, Father, fill me with your Spirit right now, right now. How do we become filled with the Spirit? Maybe we should ask before then, when can we be filled with the Spirit? How often can we be filled with the Spirit? It's interesting, Paul is writing here to believers, and he tells them to be filled with the Spirit, which would suggest what? It's something that happens, can happen, after you come to faith in Christ. In Acts chapter 2, It happens on the day of Pentecost to a bunch of believers. In Acts chapter 10, it happens to Cornelius at the moment of his conversion. In Acts chapter 4, it happens again to some of the believers who had been filled in Acts chapter 2. In other words, it's an experience that can happen when you come to faith in Christ. And then subsequently, there are those who, who pray for a second work of grace. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Well, we would pray for a second, and then a third, and then a fourth, and then a fifth, and then a five hundredth, and then a five thousandth work of the Spirit of God in our lives. When and how often? God, I think, intends that we experience the filling of the Spirit day after day for the duration of our Christian experience. So that leads to the question, how? And this is, this is a practical, I hope, practical teaching on how to move from just thinking about the Spirit and in some vague way and passive way being open to the Spirit to an active pursuit. Please don't, un- please don't think that what I'm going to be teaching you is some kind of formula. If you do this plus this plus this plus this, you're going to get this, by way of some kind of amazing experience from the Spirit of God. Remember always, the Spirit is a sovereign Spirit, right? The Spirit of God blows where He wills. He's like the wind, Jesus says. He'll blow wherever He wills, whenever He wants, however He wants. We can't do a formula with the Holy Spirit. You can't can't create an equation, this and this equals that. However, we can be sure of this, that if we are not doing these things, if we are not pursuing these things. If we are not like the deer that is panting for the water brooks, that is thirsty for more of God, thirsty for more of the Spirit, if we are not seeking Him earnestly, then we are not going to experience Him much in our lives. You can seek Him earnestly and still there be dry seasons, but I guarantee you, if you don't seek Him earnestly, your whole life will be a dry season. So we need, we need to, to understand, how do you seek Him? And I'm going to give you 10 secrets to the spirit-filled life. They're not really secrets. The Bible teaches them very plainly, but I'm putting it that way because I know we humans like to think that we're in on something, you know. <laughs> oh, it's a secret. Okay. Yeah. Now, these are, these are 10 secrets of a spirit-filled life. These are 10, 10 steps that we can take in our journey into more of the spirit of God going to go through these quickly. You may want to take notes. First, own your need. Own and admit your need. You know, one of the reasons why we don't experience more of the Spirit of God is because we don't think we need more of the Spirit of God. We live lives of self-sufficiency. We live lives where we feel we're adequate. We wake up in the morning and we actually think that, well, We just woke up in the morning because we woke up in the morning. We don't realize we woke up in the morning because the living God kept us alive. And then we go through life and we do the stuff we do. Everything from making breakfast to to going to work to taking care of the kids to doing whatever we do. Just in this self-sufficient mode. And we need to realize we need the Spirit of God. We need we need to own this. In Galatians three, Paul writes, "Let me ask you only this: Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Does he who supplies supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith?" What's Paul saying? He is saying, "Did you need the Holy Spirit when you first got saved?" to to open your eyes and make you alive and bring you to faith? Yes, you did. Well, you also need the Holy Spirit to keep you saved. You also need the Holy Spirit to give you power and life for all that you do and all that you face. You need Him to enable you, empower your holiness, your witness, your gifts, your hope, everything. You need the Spirit. So the first step toward a Spirit-filled life is to own your need. secondly, Don't let the Spirit be a stranger. Don't let the Spirit be a stranger. There's there's something that Paul assumes when he says, be filled with the Spirit. What he assumes is that we know who the Spirit is, that we are familiar with Him. In fact, if you read through Ephesians in six chapters, there are 12 times When Paul makes reference to the Holy Spirit, he is the Holy Spirit who makes us alive. He's the Holy Spirit who seals us, who guarantees our inheritance, who enlightens us, who helps us to know the love of Christ. He's the Holy Spirit who unites us in one body. He helps us to pray. And Paul's assumption here is that the Spirit has, and we should know that He has, a massive role in our lives. Back in chapter 4, it says that we can actually grieve the Spirit, which suggests that He's a person with emotions. He's, he is a person who feels our ups and our downs in life, our good days and our bad days. He's a real person. To be filled with the Spirit, something has to change in how we think and how we relate to the Spirit, We, we can't keep him a stranger in our lives. I love the words. I read these a number of years ago from Richard Lovelace in his book, Dynamics of the, the Christian Life, the Spiritual Life. Listen, listen to this. A little bit of a lengthy quote, but I, I think it's worth it. The typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between a husband and wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof and the husband makes constant use of his wife's services, but he fails to communicate with her, recognize her presence, and celebrate his relationship with her. What should be done to reverse this situation? We should make a deliberate effort at the outset of every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit. To move into the light concerning his presence in our consciousness and to open up our minds and to share all our thoughts and plans as we gaze by faith into the face of God. We should continue to walk throughout the day in a relationship of communication and communion with the Spirit mediated through our knowledge of the word relying upon every office of the Holy Spirit's role as counselor mentioned in scripture. We should acknowledge Him as the illuminator of truth and of the glory of Christ. We should look to Him as teacher, guide, sanctifier, giver of assurance concerning our sonship and standing before God, our helper in prayer, and as the one who directs and empowers witness. This involves moving about in all the areas of our life in dependent fellowship with a person. When this practice of the presence of God is maintained over a period of time, our experience of the Holy Spirit becomes less subjective and more clearly identifiable. The Holy Spirit should also be recognized as the giver of spiritual gifts. And we should be continually and unreservedly open to receiving them. Such is the experience guaranteed by Jesus. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So are you in a bad marriage relationship with the Holy Spirit? Is it an uneasy relationship between you and the third person of the Trinity? Are you you living under the same roof and making constant use of the Spirit's services, but then... In Lovelace's words, failing to communicate with Him or recognize His presence or celebrate your relationship with Him. Brothers and sisters, we need need to do something about that. Don't let the Holy Spirit be a stranger to you. Don't let Him be an afterthought in your life. Don't let Him be what some have called the forgotten member of the Trinity. Commit to doing your life in communion with, walking in, walking with, walking by the Holy Spirit. So we need to make sure he's not a stranger. Third, keep the Spirit happy. Keep the Spirit happy. Just just go back to chapter 4 and make sure that you notice what it says in Verses 29 and 30, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor be put away from you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In the context, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? By having sin in your life that's unconfessed and unrepented of. By being at odds with other believers. By being angry and bitter and having clamor and slander in your, in your heart. By, by using your tongue not to edify but to cut down and, and to hurt and wound others. These things grieve the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved, we learn elsewhere in Scripture that He removes his blessing. He removes his favor. So, so Paul's saying keep the spirit happy. <laughs> you know, if, if you want to be filled with the spirit then, then live a life that is consistently following the spirit. Live, live a life that is being sanctified by the spirit. Live a life in which you respond to the convictions of the spirit when you sin. Keep the spirit happy so that his blessing will come. And then fourth, drain out the false fillings. Go back to chapter 5 and verse 18. Drain out. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you you need to pull the plug of your life and let all the false fillings empty out. Paul says that in verse 18, doesn't he? What does he say? Chapter 5, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice the contrast here. Notice the point that Paul is making. His imperative, be filled, is preceded by another imperative, don't be drunk with wine. The implication is that physical impairment that comes with drunkenness, comes with addictions, creates an even deeper spiritual impairment. You cannot be filled with your spirit if you're filled with alcohol, or filled with God's spirit if you're filled with alcohol. You cannot be filled with the spirit of God if you are under the influence of other things. If your heart is filled with other things. Probably just need to say a word about drunkenness here, right? And it's hard to slide by this without saying something to this topic that is always relevant, always sadly current in human culture and society, drunkenness, addiction, the influence of drugs, the impairment that comes through these things. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I often get asked what I think about alcohol, what I think about pot, whatever I think about different things, and, and My answer always comes back to this. We need to start with a biblical definition of what it means to be under the influence of something. The Bible says to us that we are to be sober-minded. What does that mean? It means that our minds and our hearts and our wills, our internal self, needs to be on full alert. We need to be thinking clearly. We need to be analyzing carefully. We need to be processing wisely. Mind needs to be alert. So what is drunkenness? What is sinful under the influence of something else? It's whenever you drink anything or smoke anything or do anything or watch anything that dulls your mind, that makes it impossible for you to think clearly, for you to be on full alert. And if drinking a glass of milk takes you into being under the influence, then milk is forbidden to you. Whatever it is, whatever it is that dulls your mind, whatever it is that that quenches the flame of the Spirit's work in your life, whatever it is that, that affects your ability to think and reason and discern what is best and what is excellent, Whatever it is, Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. You cannot be filled with the Spirit if you are filled with other things. John Wesley, who was the founder of historic Methodism, is said to have once asked his mother, Susanna Wesley, who, by all accounts, was one extraordinary woman, mother of, I think, 17 children, uh, and a powerful woman of faith, John Wesley asked her one time to define sin for him. And this was her answer. Whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, weakens your reason, obscures your sense of God, or dulls your deep desire for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of your body over your mind and will, that thing to you is sin. I agree with her. I agree with her. At the end of the day, it's not what the particular substance may be so much as it is the effect upon you. Drunkenness is being under the influence of anything that weakens my ability to think, dulls my ability to discern, takes away my ability to be sensitive to and responsive to the spirit. Of God. And so, if you would be filled with the Spirit, drain your life of the false fillings. Anything hindering your walk with Christ. Third, fifth, I should say, quickly, be filled with the, the word. Be filled with the word. Now I want, you, I want you to have your Bibles open so that you see this. In chapter five and verse eighteen. We read, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. So be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Okay, you got that? Now just flip over a couple of pages in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. And verse 16, and li- listen to what the same Apostle Paul writes. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. Now, I want you to notice the connection. It's a fascinating and deeply significant connection between these two texts. Paul wrote these two letters to the Ephesians and Colossians at the same time. He was in jail. These are part of the prison epistles. He's in jail, and he writes a letter to the Ephesians, writes a letter to the Colossians. So there are parallels at different points between the two letters. Same time in his life, same place, some of the same concerns. And in Ephesians 5, he wants the people to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and be thankful to God for everything. And so he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then in Colossians 3, he wants the Colossians to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to being thankful for everything. And so he says what? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Friends, what that means is that there is a tight connection between letting the word of Christ dwell in us and being filled with the Spirit. They're almost synonyms in Paul's mind. If you want to be filled with the Spirit... Let the word, the message of Christ, dwell in your heart. Be a man. Be a woman. Be a young person who lets God's word dwell in you. You welcome it in. You give it a home. It takes up its residence inside of you. If you if you want to be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Bible. If, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the truth of Jesus. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, let your mind and your heart be, be filled with the glory and the truth and the love and the grace and the gospel and the cross and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, learn who Jesus is. Learn what He has done for you. Learn what He's doing right now for you. Learn what He's going to be doing for you when He comes back for you. Learn everything you can learn about Jesus. Let the Word of Christ from Genesis to Revelation fill you. And watch what happens. Out of the fullness of your heart that has just been filled up with the truth of Christ, the Spirit of God will begin to speak and work and encourage and empower and bless in ways that you have, to this point in your life, imagined not even possible. We must be people of the Word. We must be people who let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. So, so very often people want a shortcut to the filling of the Spirit. You know, kind of just this passive, Lord, do it to me kind of thing. Rather than an active pursuit of the Spirit that involves, among other things, a life lived daily in the Word so that the Word lives continuously in us. Be filled with the Word. Sixth, never stop praying. Never stop praying. It is striking to me how often the receiving of the Spirit is tied to prayer in the Bible. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays that the Spirit would enlighten them. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays that the Spirit would strengthen them so that they would know the love of Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verses 14 into chapter 2, we read, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It was as they were together praying. Acts 4, verse 31, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In Luke 11, the text we've already referenced Jesus says, ask and seek and knock. And if you, if you ask, you'll receive. And if you seek, you'll find. Brothers and sisters, we, we have not because we ask not. Um, our Heavenly Father is eager to give His Spirit to us. We give good gifts to our children. And we do it joyfully. We do it happily. We do it eagerly. We can't wait for birthdays. We can't wait for Christmas. We can't wait for opportunities to give to our children. If we do that with our imperfect hearts that are flawed and our love that is flawed, if we do that for our children, how much more will the Spirit or the Father give the gift of His Spirit to His children? We have not because we ask not. And I'm not just talking here, brothers and sisters, about a, a kind of quick prayer in the morning to kind of cover the day. Okay, Lord, just kind of fill me today. No, it is that, but it's more than that. As you, as you face a challenge, as you face a witnessing opportunity that has you trembling, as, as you face a task that you know is bigger than you, as, as you face a burden that is weighing you down, as you have the cloud of sorrow hanging over your head, as you, as you have some kind of creative work that you're being called to do, as you have a moment where, where you just, you know you need help, pray. Right there, right there. Multiple times a day. Fill me, O Lord, with your spirit. Fill me. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, and the Father will give you what you ask. And then next, celebrate, celebrate past fillings. Celebrate past fillings. I'm not talking about ancient history fillings of the Spirit. It's, it's good to sell it. Pentecost, you read about Pentecost. Wow, that was amazing. Gloria. So you read about the different fillings in the New Testament or maybe revivals that have happened throughout the course of church history. All wonderful, should study them, should think about them. They, they build faith. But I'm talking here about the past fillings in your life. I'm talking here about just making sure to stop and notice what God has done in and through you. In our community group this past week, the Chens and Galen and I just sat and talked about the experiences of the filling of the Spirit in our lives. And we probably spent, I don't know, an hour doing this. Just talking about one thing after another where, yeah, that was the Spirit, that wasn't me witnessing opportunity that scared us to death or we felt totally inadequate for the spirit came and just gave us words yeah. times when we were down and facing crisis and and heartache and there was this overwhelming sense of peace times where the spirit of god just filled us with courage or faith or hope in the midst of the crisis it is good it is good to just sit and talk about these things can i can i encourage you in your community groups. Community group leaders, you may want to take this to heart. In your community groups, just take the time with your group to sit around and talk about when have you experienced the filling of the Spirit? And just share those moments. What happens is, it builds faith for more. It reminds you that you know what? God really has been at work in my life. He has been at work in our lives. Folks, I, th- I thought about starting the message this, this morning by just asking the question, so were you filled with the Spirit this week? And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that many of you say, no, I don't think so. But friends, I think you were. I think you were. I think you had moments in your life Where you experienced a power, and energy, a hope, a joy, an assurance of God's love, grace, and witness. You experienced something that if you take a step back from it, you say, where did that come from? And it was a filling of the Spirit. But our problem is we just kind of go about the business of life, don't even notice these things. Notice and celebrate the fillings of the Spirit. And then next, function in faith not fear. Function in faith, not fear. Expect God to work. Expect Him to work. Why? Why? On what basis can I say that? Well, the promises of God. God who cannot lie has said what? I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh and they will dream dreams and they will prophesy. God doesn't lie. So his spirit is going to be poured out in your life. He who did not uh, Alex referenced this verse earlier. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Do you do you think God's going to not keep this promise? Now expect him to work. Expect him to work. We we need a, to cultivate a spirit of expectancy. J. Rodman Williams writes this, expectancy is a context for the gift of the Holy Spirit. People who look for something to happen are particularly candidates for the reception of the Holy Spirit. When People have expected little and expressed satisfaction with their present spiritual situation. They receive little, if anything. But those who wait to receive everything God has to give, those who desire great things from God, those who stand up on tiptoes of expectation, it is they whom God delights to bless. Expect a miracle and miracles begin to happen. This is not a formula, this is not magic, this is faith. This is simply trusting the promises of God. Let us be standing on tiptoes of expectation when it comes to the Spirit of God. Ninth, step out onto the water. Step out onto the water. You know the image I'm drawing from, right? Jesus is walking on the water in the middle of the storm, and he's passing by the boat. The disciples see him out there, and Peter wants to go see Jesus. Jesus says, come. I don't know if you ever thought about that scene. That's a pretty pretty wild moment. Waves are beating against the boat. Peter's standing on the side of the boat looking into the water, seeing Jesus over there, and Jesus says, come. Come. Peter has to step over the side of the boat into the water believing that he is going to be walking on the water. I'm not sure what I'm doing in that moment. But faith requires times where we step onto the water. There are times in our lives when we have to believe that God is going to fill us by his spirit as we take the step toward the challenge that is in front of us. So God says to Abraham, I want you to leave your country and I'm going to send you to a land, but I'm not going to tell you which land it is. In other words, Abraham, get up and go, not knowing where you're going. Step out onto the water. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the story? Three Hebrew young men that were told they needed to bow before an image, and they said no. And they were told, well, if you don't, you are going to throw you in the fiery furnace, and you're going to die. And they said, well, we don't know if God's going to deliver us or not. We know he can. We don't know if he will. But we're not going to bow before your image. And so they had to step into the furnace, not knowing whether they were going to step out of the furnace. Stepping in faith. We need to earnestly desire the spirit, and then we need to dare to try. Earnestly desire and dare to try. Pray, Spirit of God, come and fill me as I go and meet with so-and-so to share Jesus. And then go, go, dare to try, and watch what God works does in and through your life. Faith in the filling of the Spirit involves stepping out onto the water. And then finally, make it about Jesus. Make it about Jesus. Make it about Jesus. Don't make your desire for more of the Spirit to be about a desire for certain gifts or or certain power or certain miracles or certain effects. Don't make your desire for more of the Spirit to be about thrills and chills. Make your desire for more of the Spirit to be about more of Christ. Because He is the Spirit of Christ. John 16, Jesus says about the Spirit. He says, this is what the Spirit's ministry is going to be. You know what he said? He will what? Glorify me. You see, the role of the Holy Spirit is not to call attention to himself and not to call attention to the gifts, but to call attention to Christ. It's, it's like a spotlight. If you're driving down the road at night and you drive by a building uh, and you see words on the side of the building and there's a spotlight buried somewhere casting light on those words, the role of a spotlight is not to call attention to itself. In fact, the best spotlight is the spotlight you can't see. The role of a spotlight is to cast light and call attention to something else. The role of the Spirit of God is not to call attention to Himself. It is to call attention to Christ. It is to shine the light into our hearts so that we see the love and the goodness and the power and the authority of Christ. Why should we pray for gifts of healing? Is it just so that people can be healed? No. It is so that people can know that there is a Lord in heaven who is sovereign over disease and His name is Jesus. Why why should we pray for the gift of prophecy so that we can know the secrets of people's hearts or the needs of their life? No, it is so that people will know that Jesus knows the thoughts of their heart and the secrets of their life. And Jesus is the answer to their problems. Why, why should we pray for the gifts? Why should we pray for filling, So that we can have sensational experiences? No. It is so that we can see and sense and enjoy and savor the reality that Jesus is alive. And he is alive among his people and he's alive in our hearts. And he's wonderful. And he's good. And he satisfies the soul. Make it about Jesus. And watch the spirit work. Make it about yourself for thrills and chills. And it just might be a dry season for you. Make it about Jesus and his glory. And the spirit's going to be all over that. <laughs> He's, yeah, that's my job. That's my work. That's what I'm for. To glorify Christ. To glorify Christ. So... You're a Christian here this morning. Do you want more? Smorgasbord's out in front of you, right? Eat up. <laughs> you know, be filled. It's been hot the last few days. We like a nice glass of water, don't we? Drink up. <laughs> we're dry. We're parched. We're weak. We're frail. There is a river of life. There is a river that flows within the heart. It's the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. And it brings everlasting life and everlasting joy and everlasting strength. Let's, let's be like the deer that pants for the water brooks. Pant for more of Christ by panting for more of his spirit. And if you're here today and, and you say, wow, I thought Christianity was just about going to church and doing a few rules and no no you you no the christian faith is first of all about coming to faith in Jesus and in coming to faith in Jesus being cleansed of all your sins being forgiven of everything you've ever done wrong having all the shame taken away um, and then it's being indwelt by and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God so that you can live a transformed life. Christianity is about an encounter with God that changes everything about you. And we invite you this morning. Come to Jesus. I'm going to ask the band if they'll just come up and prepare as we, we want to close this morning with song. Uh, And then just a a brief season of prayer together. Alex is going to come and lead. We're going to have a song and then lead into prayer together. Uh, And may it be that the spirit will in fact be welcome here uh, and welcomed into our heart for the glory of Christ.